0: morning how are y'all good glad to hear it let's pray we'll be dismissed so uh yeah it is but uh <clears throat> i was thinking while the uh, song was going on i don't uh, i know something justin makes jokes all the time and he says well i'm speaking and you're singing you look down there like you're just like what was the word you use exactly disgusted. disgusted yes that was the word And uh, What do you mean, yes? Good night. This side of the room is on restriction. But uh, uh, I don't mean to look that way. I don't know. Maybe I've got some kind of like, I don't know. While the music's going on, I just, I'm usually, there's stuff going through my mind constantly. You know what I mean? That's the way that it works for me. Usually, while Justin's preaching, I'm just fact-checking him on Google most of the time. You know, it's like, no, that's not true. No, that's not right. No, he made that up. No, actually, he stole that from me. You know, that's what I'm doing the whole time. I email him afterwards and tell him of all the corrections he needs to make because pastors love it when you do that. They love it. We just, we sit around and talk about the fact that we can't wait till after the service and people have something for us about something that we said wrong. There was, I used to be so paranoid about that and I'm going off on a rabbit trail. We'll get back in a minute. Uh, I used to be so paranoid. I used to wear ties all the time and I'm not saying y'all are like this. This is a different portion of my life. But uh, it's like, it would take me forever to get dressed in the morning. And I would remember, I thought to myself, if there's anything distracting about the way that I look, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit of God can't move or anything. The irony is, is if my tie was even crooked, there was this one lady in our church at the time. She would point out every single defect in my clothes just about every single week. Yeah, I know, it's tough to believe that I would even have a defect in my clothes, isn't it? I mean, I'm such a snazzy dresser. And that was before Pinterest, you know, so, that's when I, that's when, what's that? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. But, uh, but uh, while I had this disgusting look on my face as the worship was going on, I thought to myself while we were singing that song, Simple Gospel, or while you guys were singing it, I was thinking about it. Um, you know, I thought to myself that Jesus does simplify things. He does. It's in the very essence of what that means. Uh, Life is a complicated thing, but Jesus is not complicated. Uh, uh, Jesus is really the only relationship you have that has no complication, drama, effect, string, or anything attached to it. Um, You know, you may have some really good healthy ones, but there's always, you know, something uh, either with ourselves or the other person, something's always going on. You know, I mean, something comes up, things get kind of, you know, dicey every now and again. It's never like that with Christ. Uh, The only thing that makes life complicated, really... Is not Jesus, it's sin. That's what makes life complicated, you know. Either our own personal sin or the sin of someone else, you know, that's what complicates life. Um, Jesus is this, I don't wanna be so reductionistic to think that, hey, you just add Jesus something, everything's just clear as a bell. That's not true either, right? Uh, the things do get complicated in life. And actually, that's what I wanna talk about this morning. I wanna talk about dealing with offense in life uh, and what it's like to handle either being somebody that has offended someone. Or being the person that has been offended. Uh, Now, we might think to ourselves, and I just want to say it right out of the the bat, this is not going to be like a three steps of dealing with bitterness or six ways to handle forgiveness or ten ways to forgive that. I, I don't believe in steps. Steps don't work. All right. If they did work, uh, there would be a lot less believers struggling with bitterness in their lives, you know. And that's not to say that, you know, every Christian is dealing with it. Uh, I have a a little litmus test we'll go through here in a little bit to see if you're actually kind of struggling with it just a little bit. But let me ask you this Have you ever offended someone? Oh, yeah. No. Yes, there's only one person. Two people are shaking their heads. I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm offended that you shook your head. No. So. Just killed your streak. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever been offended? I mean, like, legitimately offended. I'm not talking like somebody walked up to you and said, like, those shoes are so ugly. Not that kind of offended. All right. I'm talking about, like, a legitimate, you know, documented, observed offense that literally uh, really hurt you at the core of who you are as a person or how you view yourself. Uh, These are the things that I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about these minor type things that just have to do with the fact that we need to grow up. I'm talking about things that even would hit a mature person, uh, it would be difficult to handle. You see what I mean? Jesus was in Matthew chapter 18. Now I'm going to, this is a different kind of a sermon for me. I usually take a block of scripture and we're going through that. That's not going to be the case this morning. So either you, you need to flip real quick or have your phone ready to search if you want to follow along. Uh, most of the, everything I'm going to be reading is the New King James Version to, uh, as well if you'd like to know that. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is talking to uh, his disciples. And it's uh, just a one of these... Uh, it's a commentary on that time where the, the children were coming to Jesus. You know, in different places he handles that in different ways. But here in Matthew chapter 18, he makes a... And I'm going to just read one verse, and I typically don't do that. So don't please don't think that I'm trying to use one verse to prove my entire sermon. I'm not. We're going to be looking at a bunch of them to try to prove it. If I even need to prove anything, why do I have to prove stuff to you guys? Why don't you just accept... Never mind. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 7. Now, this is Jesus talking here. And he says, woe to the world because of offenses. Now, the King James, my version of the Bible has a, an exclamation point behind that. Um, I'm not real sure how they know to put that exclamation point there, but nonetheless, there it is. All right. Woe to the world because of offenses. And notice what he says. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Now, this isn't a threat that Jesus is making here. He's making two solid points. Number one, what we have to realize is unless a a person is a complete emotional and mental psychopath or sociopath, uh, it is difficult living with the knowledge that you know that you have been offensive. It's not easy. all right. You know it's there. A person's pride is usually what keeps them from acknowledging that or not. But the real thing that Jesus is pointing out here is this this is what I'm drawing from the verse anyway, and we're going to start here and go from it. It is going to be impossible for you and I to go through life and not have to deal with major offenses. Um, usually the worst offenses that we deal with take place in our, in our, in our safe spaces, uh, with our families, um, you know, with a close friend, uh, in our church settings, things like that. Now, and let me just say, give another commercial. I am not talking about this because there's some kind of major offense going down in church. And Justin was like, you just take care of this one. I'm going to sit this one out and just class. It's not what's happening here, okay? Um, I had no clue what I was going to talk about until about 10 o'clock last night. Um, and I was, I'm not even going to tell you my process. You'll be like, whatever, the Holy Spirit can have anything to do with that. But <laughs> uh, the word offense uh, is translated often as an occasion to fall, a stumbling block is what the King James translates it a lot and our occasion for stumbling or a tripping up, uh, we can conclude that in a, then that an offense is an improper action or attitude that's displayed by a person either purposely or inadvertently that distracts another Christian's focus from Christ and either entices them to sin or causes them harm. Now, I know that's really long, but that's about the easiest way that, in my worded mind that I could take the sum up on an offense is. It's something that either we do or someone has done to us, something that we say, something just, a, it can be sometimes a vibe we give off. Because we're spiritual creatures, we pick up on other people's quote unquote vibes, don't we? You can just tell when somebody doesn't like you and they've never said a word to you, right Daniel? I mean, uh, you can pick that up, right? <laughs> You're picking it up? Okay, good. Good. So we can pick those things up, right? We, we can sense it when it's going on. We can sense when there is something between us and another person, can't we? You may not even, sometimes you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know something's there. And it bothers you, doesn't it? That's because we're created as relational beings to not have to live with those divides if we can do anything about it. Now there are some people that are just incorrigible and they don't want to be reconciled about anything. It's kind of like they find their personal self-worth in how many people don't like them. You know what I mean? That's, this, that's the, the Facebook meme. I don't care who gets mad. This is the truth and whatever follows after that is probably the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard. You know what I mean? Uh, there's no virtue in saying I don't care what people think. If we don't care what people think, in essence what we're saying is we don't love people. Because we want, to, we want the other person to know that they're loved. So for us to turn around and say we don't care what think, we, they think, what we're saying is, is I don't care if they experience love for me or not. I don't care about that. It's actually a pretty harsh statement to say. And so when Jesus is talking here, and he talks about woe unto those that cause offenses, I've found it through my, my years, particularly in church life, if I can put it that way, air quotes, which is my favorite thing to do is air quotes. I'm really good at it. And... Um, you're supposed to say amen to that. I mean, I'm good at air. Thank you. Good night. You see, that was like, boom, casual, just like it was normal. Anyways, I've noticed in church life, a lot of offense goes down and it's inadvertent. We don't really mean for it to happen. This is a true story. A, year, a number of years ago, uh, when I was still pastoring in Utah, there was this lady in our church and she was shopping at the Walmart. And uh, she was standing in the aisle somewhere and a fella come like walking down the aisle in a rush. And uh, kind of buzzed her. You know, there's always that person in the Walmart and in the, the Walmart parking lot that just kind of feels like the entire aisle's theirs. You know what I mean? It's like they're shopping right in the middle. I'm not saying she did this. I'm just saying there's always that person. Or when you're walking to your car, you, you don't walk right in the middle of the lane. All right. You walk. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing. Anyway, she was in the line of the aisle at the Walmart's. And uh, so this guy came buzzing up past her. When he did, he accidentally like, stepped on the side of her foot. And he, he didn't notice it, or at least he acted like it didn't happen, you know. Stepped on her foot. She lost her balance, fell against uh, the, the, the shelf there, caught herself, and twisted her ankle, tore a ligament, and broke a small bone in her foot. The dude never even turned around. He was just like, he was like... See, that's probably the way I shop too. You know, I'm like cheese. Boom! I'm going straight to the cheese. You know, or actually, it's bacon and eggs. I eat so many bacon and eggs, it's ridiculous. And uh, so, uh, Ron Swanson. Anyways, so he was. She fell down, hurt her foot. Had to wear a, a a boot, one of those like uh, air boots, on her foot for like four months. Never, the dude never even blinked. He never balked. He just kept going. He never even turned around. Now we can say, well, it was a mild accident, but I don't know how you step on a person's foot, knock them onto the aisle, on, onto the shelf, and they fall and break their foot, and you don't know what's happening. Interesting. There's a Bible verse about that. <laughs> it's Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-four. Uh, it says, and let us consider one another to provoke, un, uh, to provoke one another unto love and good works. The, the key to that verse isn't the love and the good works, really. The key to that verse in the original languages and the way that it's structured is the phrase consider one another. You see, a lot of the times where the most offense goes down is because we're not actively considering another another. Uh, It can come out and neglect by the way of just simply putting people out of our mind. It can be steamrolling and bulldozing people. Um, I mean, I know that has been a habit of mine in the past of just being like, all right, I have a goal, and we're going to go to that goal, and you can either be like drugged behind on the bumper, uh, or you can go with me, but we're going to get to that goal. And inadvertently, you know, we do, we offend people, or I offend people. God says that we are to consider to fully observe others. So... We as a individual believers and as a body of Christ, if we're the ones that uh, are, have a habit of offending or the ones that have been offended, properly understanding how God wants you and I to nurture relationship is how to handle offense. There's no steps to it, you know. And if I offend Francis, I can't go, okay, Francis, this is step number one and you and I uh, making things right. I mean, that would feel so genuine, wouldn't it? You'd be like, oh, great, buddy, I love step one. Let's move to step number two, you know. Sounds like some kind of weird, like, counseling session or something like that. So how do you handle offense? Well, the first thing is this, and we've read it in Matthew 18, verse number 7. Maybe this is the pessimist in me or not, but I think it can help you if you hold on for just a second. Just expect it to happen, all right? I'm not saying walk around in just anticipation, but when it does happen, when there's offenses that you have to deal with, don't be floored that it just went down. It's part of interacting with people. It's just part of it. From your kids to your spouse to your boss, and it's always the boss's fault. We can blame him for so much stuff. He says, offenses must come. Have you noticed that we don't live in heaven? Have you noticed that yet? I mean, our bodies aren't there. I know that we're seated with Christ, and I know that you can give me the theological answer as to how that might be only half right. But the fact of the matter is, tomorrow, when I walk into Atria Senior Living, I am not walking down a street of gold, nor do I hear angelic beings singing around me, all right? I do not. I hear, the air conditioner's broken on the third floor. There's a toilet stopped up. And in heaven, there won't be toilets that stop up. <laughs> you can you could flush tree trunks like a, a wood chipper down the toilets in heaven, all right? I mean, th- there'll be no need for any of that stuff in heaven. It's going to be a great day, all right? It's going to be <laughs> the things that excite me. Thank, amen. Thank you. Thank you. I hear that Amen. <laughs> Uh, we're going to do something offensive. Uh, I'm, I know that I can be offensive. One of my personality. I have three spiritual gifts. Uh, what's wrong with three? You just made me have more or less? Well, you're like three. All right, you have three. Sure, you do. Wait till you hear them and you'll agree. Number one, sarcasm. All right. Number two, eating. All right, that is a spiritual gift. All right. Uh, Number three, I'm grumpy, all right? I'm just being honest with you. Have you ever seen that movie Christopher Robin? Have you guys seen that? Eeyore is my spirit animal. I love that guy in that movie, man. He was the best character. He was cracking me up, man. I was like, identify my brother. That's what I was like the whole time. And I know that's not a spiritual gift, all right? Don't text me later and tell me. not- actually do. That would be really great. I could use that for a sermon illustration later. But... (laughs) Over in Psalms 119 and 165, you've probably heard this verse before. It says, Great peace, uh, excuse me, I'm reading it wrong. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Now, I'm not saying that your deep love for the book of Leviticus is going to help you not be offended, all right? It might. I mean, you might be able to memorize what a heave offering is and just have a rock-solid spiritual status in life, you know what I mean? So I don't want you to think that I'm saying go back to the old Pentateuch and, man, just love the Pentateuch, and then all of a sudden you're going to be good and non-offendable. No, really what David's saying here is our connection, not only our mental, but also our emotional connection to the truth, is what's going to safeguard us from offense, it's going to it's going to cultivate us uh, into a, a form. Of, it's going to cultivate us into maturity. Uh, we're going to be able to look at things in light of what's true more quickly. Not as I'm not. And this is I want to be very very careful not to make it sound like this is formulated. We're going, The more we grow uh, and more we mature, not only spiritually but just physically as, as human beings. The less quickly we are to act off our emotions in certain things. Um, when I I learned that the hard way with pastoring. When I pastored, man, it was very much a, it was a personal affront to me quite a bit. Things would happen, and I'm like, well, how could they not like the church? Well, there was probably actually some pretty legit reasons why they didn't like it. You know, I didn't see what they were because everything about my decision making tended to be more emotional, because I was trying to. I was trying to get some validation out of the way another person felt about this scenario. We get very easily offended if that's the way that we're going to live our lives. If, if our feelings are at the forefront of how we want to interpret a situation, offense is just right around the door. Um, now, I'm not saying I have this nailed. I am talking to you not only as victim, but also offender when it comes to things like that, all right? So I'm sure there's at least one person in this room that could attribute their experiences to that as well. So, which is one reason why I didn't want to talk about this this morning. But I muscled my way through because hopefully that person is understanding the things. Justin. So, <laughs> one of the, the big things that I, I've, I've noticed particularly in church life about offense too is, is this. This right here is like our number one excuse for offending people sometimes. You know, is using this like some kind of like club or, or dagger to either beat or cut somebody to pieces with. You know what I mean? And the most passive-aggressive ways as well. It's not always like right out in front, you know what I mean? Uh, One of the things, I heard somebody say this a long time ago when it it comes to handling the truth and love and uh, confronting people, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, Truth is not the starting point of offense. You have to understand that. It is a defense against it. When we are in love with the truth of the Word of God, it is going to defend us from taking everything as a personal slight. It's going to build us up in a way that to where we're mature enough to handle what's going on. I'm going to read a real long section of verses here real quick. First Peter chapter 2 is verse 20, uh, down to verse number 23. It says, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable with God. For to, uh, for to this were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, neither was any uh, deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but here's the interesting part of this whole verse. But he committed himself to him who judges righteously. In the moment of offense, that aspect of who Jesus is in you is going to be the most difficult lesson that we learn. In committing ourselves over to someone, uh, the person of Jesus Christ, when I was uh, in Bible college, learned a lot of good things. I mean, sometimes I take some, you know, some hacks at a, the super insane conservative fundamentalist college that I went to. I did learn some really good stuff. One of them, president of the college, used to always say this. He, used to, he said, I have this written in the front of my Bible in the uninspired pages, as he called it. You know, the white ones, not with the maps. I know you love the maps and everything. You're probably looking at the maps all the time, Chris. Just going through there, just looking at those things and enjoying them. Uh, But in those white pages, he said he had written in bold letters, no attack, no defense. And I really like that. It stuck. He said, if I don't go around attacking people, I don't have to go around defending myself. He said, if I don't go around causing offense, more than likely, I'm not going to have to go around and deal with offense all the time. Jesus, when offense came to him, rather than attacking which then puts him in a defensive mode. You know what he did? He committed himself. It mean, that word in, uh, gives the idea of transferring trust. It's kind of like if uh, you share a joint bank account with someone. Nowadays, like those apps and everything, my, me and my daughter, we have the same bank. So uh, inevitably, if I need money and need to ask her for it, she can just um, get on the app and uh, she can just, boom, transfer the money right over there immediately. And this is what, what, what the Word of God's telling us about offense when we prepare, when we're preparing ourselves for it. When it happens, don't make it your life's goal to campaign for your righteousness. Make it your goal to just simply commit what's going on to the one that judges righteously. Um, that doesn't mean that you always feel like things are fair. I can promise you that. There are lots of things that have happened in my life and are happening in my life that I don't feel are very fair, you know. But the only thing that I can do, regardless of how I feel about it or how I even verbalize it, the only thing that I can simply do is I can transfer my trust. Because let's just face it, you get in certain situations in life and there's no amount of scheming and there's no amount of manipulation, there's no amount of well intentions that are going to get us out of it. You know, we have to sit in that moment until it's time to move on. Let's see, I don't want to read that. I'm getting to you. I'm going to take this page and put it over here. We only have 13 more, okay? <laughs> 13 more and we'll be done. <clears throat> I am going to move on, though, because I'm taking more time. Uh, let's turn over to Colossians. No, no, excuse me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to uh, jump over there. Verse number 19. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 19. So we've talked about uh, understanding that offense is going to happen. Uh, Prepare ourselves spiritually for when it does happen. I want to see the how we practice forgiveness towards offenses. Um, I am not going to speak to you from the basis of I am the best one uh, with all my experience in life of 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 forgiving people. All right, I'm like if you're going to rate me one out of ten, probably a solid four point seven three four six five nine. All right, that's where I'm at. I had to use a very special calculator to come up with a number. What's that? I do love pie so much. (laughs) Practicing forgiveness is not a matter of, okay, now that I'm offended, now I do this. And see, if we get too formulated, we actually get more upset in the moment because we tell ourselves, if I respond to this offense this way, that person responds that way, and you know what? They often never do. You know what I mean? And this is very illustrated. uh, It can be illustrated pretty good in marriage in a very funny way. Uh, You go up to your spouse, all right? And uh, I can give these illustrations now with absolute no remorse because I'm not married right now. (laughs) And so you go up to your spouse and you say, will you forgive me? And they say, yeah. doesn't seem like you really mean it, though. All right? Yeah, all of you. Yes, every one of us have heard that, right? You're like, but wait a minute. I came up and admitted wrong, specifically laid out my offense, and yet I don't seem like I really mean it now. You know, and I'm not even going to get in an argument with myself about that. But anyways, <laughs> when it gets too formulated, I'm about just all these flashbacks start twitching. <laughs> when we get things too formulated about forgiveness, what happens is, is we feel like it doesn't quote-unquote work. Do you understand that forgiveness is just as much for you as it is for the other person? Forgiveness is going to affect. A forgiveness is for the other person, regardless of they ever even accept it or not. Now, the gospel teaches this. teaches us this. Second Corinthians chapter five. Look at verse number nineteen with me. And this is kind of picking up in the middle of a thought. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here's a question, here's a test, I hope you studied, alright, here it is. <laughs> There's only two things to choose, so you got a good, pretty good chance. Alright, when did God provide forgiveness for you? Was it A, when you received Christ, or was it B, before you were saved at the cross? Which one? All right, who thinks it was A, when you received Christ? You can raise your hand if you're brave enough. If not, you don't have to. Or who thinks it was B, when you got on the cross? B. Okay, good. good. You guys are so smart, you all pass. All right? Must have been to a really good uh, community Bible college somewhere. You're right, it was B. And the reason why that's so important to remember is this, is that religion has a... You know why religion systemizes forgiveness? Because they don't understand this point that Jesus provided forgiveness for you when he died. They preach a gospel of if and then, even though they want to call it grace. Religion says, "If you will receive Jesus, then God will forgive your sins." Well, that's just a bunch of spiritual junk. What, 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 what kind of? What, what, it's just basically what it is. Is rather than making some kind of if then deal with God, making it this big huge thing down to this little bitty small thing in their minds. When the fact of the matter is, is there is no if and then, right? Salvation was provided for all. Reconciliation was granted for all at the moment that Jesus died on the cross. Commercial, here we go. You know what I'm about to say because I have to say it. Because somewhere out there, is this being recorded on the Webernet? Oh, gosh. So, Webernet land and uh, any of us that might be in here. Just because salvation was provided for all doesn't mean that all are saved. All right. Do we agree with this? Okay, thank you. All right, You have to say that. I'm, you just got to say it anymore. I'm sorry. It's gotta, you've got to throw it out there. For long, buddy the in Pure Grace Church will be this universalist, unitarian bastion for some kind of false gospel. Somebody's going to sound like that too, and we're going to be toast. It's all over with. You realize I'm ruining the church the more I speak right now. You understand that, right? <laughs> you know why it's so important? This, and uh, We've talked about this a little bit on Wednesday nights, and, and it's this thought. Either the gospel message is potentially good news or it is presently good news. It's one or the other, all right? When we preach if and then and when we base forgiveness on if and then, that just means what we believe has the potential to be something good rather than the fact that it is good and that it does, not only does it transform us, but it does work. The gospel works not because it's a formula, but because it is a person that's living and acting. That's why the gospel works. And Jesus spoke to a a huge group of, you know, very religious people. And he said, you won't come to me that you might have life. Life is active. Life it moving forward. Life isn't something that's just like you put in a museum somewhere in this like domed glass cover and everybody goes and looks at it and says, ooh, look at that. No, life is an active thing. Forgiveness is an active thing. Forgiveness is living and breathing and it's moving because forgiveness is actually the person of Jesus Christ. It's not something that we have to go find to give. It's something that's in us. And I, I know that in my darkest days of bitterness... The propensity to want to forgive was there. You know, I would squish it, you know, step on it, you know what I mean, throw a bucket of water on it. If I was trying all things to get rid of it, but it was there. It was there because it's a part of who we are as believers. It's a part of our identity because our identity is not tied to what we have or haven't done. It is eternally connected to what Jesus already has completed. You can't get rid of it. It's there. If we've truly been born again, it's there. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's the verse preceding these, I believe it is, if I remember numbers properly. If I don't remember numbers properly, I went to Theodore, so there you go. Sorry, it's not my fault. <laughs> for he made him to be sin for us. Now get this. Made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You know what a, You know what forgiveness is? You know what grace is? And we all have our definitions, but I'm talking right now. So, this Jesus becoming sin for us, the forgiveness that he provided, it was necessary for him to bear the consequences of our sin so he could freely release us from it. When you and I forgive somebody, in essence, what we're doing is we are bearing the consequences of their choices. We're saying, even though you did that, and even though, yes, it did cause me pain, I'm choosing to carry that burden of offense because I would rather release you than to let the offense break the relationship. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on this in the sense that forgiveness, though, does not mean that a person is a doormat. That's not what it means. All right? Forgiveness, when forgiveness is offered, if a person truly receives that forgiveness and they operate in that relationship from the forgiveness, they are not going to continue to live in their offense. All right, the gospel teaches this. Why? What does it say? It says when, you, when any man becomes a whenever any man. I'm making up a verse now. I'm like six of them in my head right now. I'm not. It's not even coming out right. If any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new what creation all old things have passed away all things have become new now I understand that that deals with your identity but it also deals with your behavior as long as you get those two in order there's not a thing in the world wrong with talking about behavior just as long as you don't get behavior before identity when you get behavior before identity you get a legalist if you got identity without behavior you get lasciviousness or grace before I said that wrong Good night. The internet's eating us up, man. Do you want to come finish this? We might want to just go ahead and do that. Y'all come tag team it. Be done with it. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're a doormat. It does not mean that a person gets a pass on their consequences a lot of the times. Consequences are up to God. See, we can make our choices, but we can't choose our consequences, right? We can choose what we're going to do, but we can't always choose our consequences. I mean, just think of an extreme example real quick. the super extreme, all right? Just think of a person that is, you know, on their their standing in court. And this has happened before. And this person has murdered the loved one of another person. That person gets up at their podium because, you know, in those sentencings, they always give the family members opportunity to speak to the one, to the killer, to the murderer. And many times people have got them to say, I forgive you. I do not hold any ill resentment towards you at all. The judge doesn't say, hey, well, in that case, let Jimmy go. You know, he doesn't do that. The consequences still stand. And there are times in life where we can look at people and we can say, I do forgive you. But they have made choices that have removed themselves so far from the relationship. That's not your fault. That's, right. that's their choice's fault. You cannot carry the load of another person's choice when they do not want to be reconciled to you through your forgiveness. See, in those instances, that's when forgiveness is more, about, is more for you than it is anyone else. Forgiveness, not only do we... I guess we could think of it in these terms. Not only is forgiveness given, it's also received. All right, You give it out and, and the other person has to receive it because, before it becomes any effect. Forgiveness doesn't mean also that you approve of what a person did. If you were truly offended, it does not mean that you approve of it. And on, on, uh, conversely, you need to understand this. For you to forgive yourself does not mean that you have to be okay with your choice. It just has to mean that you will not allow your choice to define you anymore in life. You are forgiving yourself. You are taking that very principle that, you are, that God is calling us, you and I to do, that very choice, that very identity, and we're placing it on another person to forgive them. You're allowing God to say, yes, there is no offense there. Stop living with me and other people like there is an offense. Uh, ben and I were talking about this just last night. The, 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 mo- the most wonderful thing about the gospel is that you're not on the line with God at any given moment. Even at your worst time, your, your relationship with him is not on the hook. There's no string to it. There's no, oh, okay, yeah, but. You know what? Uh, there's none of that. It is completely secure at all times. When we won't forgive ourselves, what we're saying is, God, I really don't think that that's the way you actually think about me. Yeah, that's what we're really saying. I'm not saying that to try to condemn you, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge the thought processes that are going through our mind when we have those types of feelings. What we're saying is, I don't feel forgiven. Well, you can take how you feel, put it in a neat little box, put that box in another box, wrap it up, Take that box and smash it with a hammer, all right? Because it doesn't matter how you feel about that. It matters what's true at the moment, all right? Some of you guys got that reference. Some of you did not. For all of you that did get it, A+. Plus, all right? You're welcome. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the last one. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to finish up, all right? Matthew chapter number 18. Uh, look at verse number 15. We're going back over there. Now, this is a verse that uh, we, <laughs> this, this section of Scripture, I should say, in it, how, when it comes to dealing with offenses, has probably caused more people emotional, uh, mental, and social damage than any other thing that I've seen in a local church. We call it the church discipline. So much so that we even have the little term for it. We call it churching somebody, which I think is a very bad way to describe church and dealing with offenses. I mean, it's just the whole way around. We're going to church them. I think it's a southern thing. I don't know. First time I mentioned it in Utah, people were like, well, what does that mean? Do we like, hit them in the head with a building? What does that mean? I don't get it. I'm like, Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> you just wait. Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew chapter 18, look at verse number 15. Now, this is dealing with an offensive situation all around, right? It says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, what is he talking about here? Before we get into it, let's just, this is how we read this. We read blah, 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 blah. But if he refuses to tell hear you, tell the church, you know, yeah, that's right. Get them up front, you know what I mean? Now, open the side door. We're going to church these people, but uh, we really kind of gloss over verse number 15, and here's how what goes on, what, what God is really saying to us. The best way to deal with offenses is communication. One of the most difficult things that you'll ever do is communicate with a, a person when there's an, a, a difficult situation. It's not fun. You know, nobody likes to do it. I don't like to do it. I will think up of a thousand reasons in my head to not have to do it, all right? Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, they'll get over it. Oh, they said hi to me. Everything must be fine. No, you can sense it. There's something there. You want to know how, uh, this is very interesting too. I heard uh, John Eldridge talk about this when it comes to uh, being offended by a person and still not wanting to reach out to that person to try to figure things out. Sometimes, let me give you the illustration. I'm going to give you the commercial. You can tell if you're struggling with letting something go with a person when you have that imaginary argument in your head that you always win with them. You know what I'm talking about? I do my best arguing after the argument. Dude, I'm so good at it. I'm like, if this ever happens again, I'm like, letter A, letter B, drop this bomb, boom, it's over. By the end of the conversation in my head, whoever I'm arguing with is just broken down before me in total repentance, you know, declaring my righteousness before me, you know what I mean? You know that conversation I'm talking about, that one where you replay it in your head, and you're like, man, or even if maybe you, heaven forbid, you win the argument. Oh, good night. I mean, that's like Super Bowl material right there. Like three months later, you're still yeah, that was good. You know, if we have, we can tell we're struggling in a relationship like that if we keep that conversation rolling in our mind when that person comes up. It's just always scrolling through there, you know. Um, So what what does Jesus talk about doing? He talks about going uh, to your brother. Now, let me give you a somewhat, I don't know if I'd call this passive-aggressive or not. But I'm warning you, so I guess it doesn't count. Okay, so there it is. This is what the verse doesn't say. Now, I'm saying saying this not for Justin's sake or Ben's sake or anybody's sake. I'm saying this because I used to be a pastor, and I used to say it when I pastored. So that gets me off the hook when I say this, all right? So here you go. Now you're like, ooh, what is he going to say? It's really probably not that big of a deal once I say it. Uh, This verse doesn't say, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell... go and tell his fault between you and the pastor and the pastor shall mediate the problems between you and he so that you might gain your brother that's not what it says it says you go talk to the person it doesn't say go drag a third mediating party in all the now sometimes as you go down in these verses you'll see that there's some mediation but when an offense of officially occurs between you and another person, it doesn't have to be at church. It can be at work. It can be in any of those scenarios. Instead of dragging our, uh, an army of people in behind us that we have rallied together to validate how offended we really are, why don't we just go to the person that's really offended us? Why don't we talk about that? Now, if you're willing to let it go, that's one thing. All right, And the commercial to that is this is if the person I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this cuz this happened to me one time when I was in Bible college. If the person doesn't know you're offended at them, don't go and tell them. I had somebody come up to me at college one day, like towards my senior year and they're like Man, all these years ago, I had no clue. Everything was fine for years, in my mind. Everything was good. They came up to me and was like, you said something in class one day that really made me not like you for years, and I just want you to forgive me. I was like, uh, oh, okay, uh, you're forgiven? I, I, I didn't even know you were upset. you know what I mean? If the, if there's, don't go and create a problem, is what I'm saying, if there isn't an issue. But if you know that there is a clear, definitive issue, there is a clear, definitive break in relationship, what did Jesus do? When there was a clear break in relationship in the garden, what did Jesus do? He went, to the, he went to Adam, didn't he? He went in the middle of the broken relationship and said, Adam, where are you at, man? You know, He knew where he was. What did Jesus do when the entire world had a, just had spun out of control? It says that he came into his own, didn't he? You see, what the gospel teaches us about offense is this, is that your relationship with people are bigger than the way we feel about the relationships we are the situation excuse me they're bigger than that god is not interested in assigning blame he's not interested he's interested in repairing relationships even when you're the offender god is not interested in in making you feel guilty that's not his what he's doing He's not going to restore the relationship by making one party feel guilty and the other party feel, you know, have like this pity party. He's not going to do that. He's going to work the Holy Spirit of God is going to work inside the believer to form an attitude of restoration. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to want. I find it interesting that in this verse that Jesus appeals to the identity of the person because he says if your brother offends you, go and talk to him. And when you work it out, what have you gained? You've gained your brother. You see that? He appeals to our identity. He doesn't say, go talk, you know, he says, your brother. The relation is there. In Hebrews 13, 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. You know why it says, let it continue? Because there's times where the pause button gets hit, <laughs> you know. He says, let it keep going. Romans 12 and verse 10. Be kindly and affectionate to one another with a brotherly love and honor preferring one above the other. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Can, can, this is a very interesting verse, and it's, it's so true. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul's like, man, I'm not going to write you a 17-page essay on brotherly love. All right, you get it. God himself, without the instruction of anyone else, teaches you this thing, to love your brother. See, don't tell yourself that offenses are the problem because they're not. Offenses are not the problem because they're going to happen, remember? The problem is, is how we handle those offenses when they do happen. You see, Jesus created mankind knowing that there was going to be a problem, didn't he? He knew it. He knew there was going to be an issue. He knew that he was going to have to experience something that he himself had. He had to experience death. The God man experiencing death. The day that God died, as it were, gave up his life for our lives, all right? He knew all that was coming, but you know what he did? He still initiated the relationship. See, the, the, the relationships that we have, regardless of whether we realize it or not, we have something for those people, and those people have something for us. We, we, we operate in a togetherness. It's not like we're just over here and every gown again, we bump into each other. No, there is a, there's a there's, particularly in church life, it's very symbiotic. You have a gift. You have something to offer the other, and the other has something to offer you. And we're, the Holy Spirit of God's meeting needs of the individual through the other. There's an interesting story uh, in a book called uh, The Miracle on the River Kwai. It was a number of uh, Scottish soldiers that uh, were captured during uh, World War II, and they were put into labor camps, and they stayed in those labor camps for years. And uh, towards the end of the war, it was getting very brutal in the labor camps, and at one time, these, this platoon of Scottish soldiers had been sent out by their uh, captors uh, to dig a ditch. You know, and they had to go to the tool shed, check out the tools, go did the ditch. At the end of the day, they would check the tools back in. They would all stand in formation. You've all seen the movies. And uh, so at the end of this particular instance, this is a true story, by the way. At the end of this particular instance, they had put all their equipment back. They were standing in formation. One of the captors, uh, one of the Japanese captors, went into the tool shed to count the, the shovels, and there was one missing. Of course, he went back, berated the platoon, began to, he pulled one guy out and put a gun to his head and said, I'm going to kill you if you don't tell me, if you guys don't say, tell us where that other shovel went. And so finally, after a few minutes of this berating and threats and whatnot, a man up into the front left stepped out like he was the one that had the shovel. Well, the Japanese captor went and got a shovel and beat the man to death with the shovel. Put the shovel back in the shed, and upon a second count, they figured it, they found out it was just a miscount. That was it; the shovel was there the whole time. In his book, he writes there was an interesting event that happened as a result of that. In with the captors, they all became very close all of a sudden. The fact that that one man was willing to step out and take the hit for everybody made them realize how important it was for everyone to stick together, kind of in a brotherhood type of a sense. Well. By the end of the war, uh, the Americans showed up and actually freed this camp. And uh, what they did at that time is they took, let all the prisoners le- uh, loose, obviously, and they had all the uh, Japanese captors lined up in the, the same area that they kept all the prisoners in. And basically and essentially what the American forces were doing, they were giving them their chance. You know, they're like, all right, this is your time. Payback, you know. Poetic justice tells us that they all go get a shovel, right? You know, or tells us that they take one by one, throw them down into that pit where they had to stay. That's what justice tells us, right? And it's documented, and it is true. The Scottish soldiers, that platoon, were the first ones that stepped forward. And uh, I'm going to read you the quote and make sure that I get it right. One man said, no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. I, man, people cut me off at traffic. You know, and I'm, like, writing their license plate number down. You know what I mean? (laughs) But it's true, isn't it? I mean, I don't even know. I, I know just knowing enough about myself right now is I don't know that I could do something like that. But, you know, here's something that's interesting on both sides of that coin. When you and I live in a state of not dealing with offenses, it wears on you after a while. It'll wear you down. And then after a while, and I'm speaking personally for myself, I know after a while you're just like, this is not worth it. It is just absolutely destroying me emotionally. My soul life is absolutely emaciated as a result of me just not truly from my heart and my mind offering the very forgiveness that I know is there. It just burns you to the ground. You're just an emotional crisp, you know. The question is this, is are we going to continue to carry that burden of what it's like to not deal with the actual offense, or are we just going to deal with it, are we going to go to our brother and gain the brother? You know what that implies when you don't go to your brother to gain them? You're living at a loss, aren't you? You're living with less than. You see, if I could say something like, well, if these soldiers can forgive people, certainly you can, you know? And if Jesus can forgive you, why can't you forgive other people? I can say that, but I don't have to say it. You know why? Because if you're truly born again and your heart of hearts, it's already there. The forgiveness is living within you, and you can sense it. There is no reason as to why you can explain how we would want to forgive somebody after they literally have offended us in a way that we could justifiably hold it over their heads for the rest of their life. Right? We could, gang, we could gang up, we could get a team around us that would just validate how that we feel. And uh, if the other person was honest, they'd say, yeah, you're right, I did do that. And I'm sure it did make you feel like that. But you see, the gospel teaches us, this, teaches us this, that the offering of forgiveness comes from who we are as believers. It's not something that we have to go find. It's something that's already inside of you and I because of the person of Jesus Christ. Hopefully that made a lot of sense to you. Hopefully it helped you. It, uh, looking over it again, it kind of it helped me. Particularly the part when I read my note about that, the running argument in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, ah, so true. <laughs> it is so true. Um, I know that I've lived large sections of my life um, with just a quiet, smoldering, sometimes a raging, burning fire of unforgiveness. It's been there before ignoring offenses, just pretending like they did not happen. And you know what, when you get in the quietness of your mind, you know they're there. And there's just no rest. There's been some offenses in my life, but you know, where people where I have offended, and I've tried to reconcile with that person, but they chose not to. I, I can't necessarily blame them for that. All I can do is accept what's true about that scenario and move on. I can't do anything about it. There are other people that I have offended, that I've reached out to. And initially, nothing happened. I'm thinking of uh, one guy in particular, again, while I was in college, there was a big offense that went down between me, him, and I think it was his fiance. Yeah, it was his fiance at the time. Uh, We didn't speak for 10 years, and uh, we were real good friends in college. And probably three years ago or more, he called me, and it was finally reconciled. By this time, it was just stupidity. You know what I mean? He's like, man, I'm an idiot. I'm like, I'm an idiot, too. That's how guys apologize. You understand this. Ladies, if you would just accept that, your life would be so much easier if you would just accept the fact that when a man goes up to you and says, oh, honey, that means you're right. Why just drag him through the dirt and make him say it? Just accept it. All right? Please. Oh, wow. Let's pray. Father, thanks for loving us. (laughs) Uh, And thank you for uh, being a God that is forgiving. Thank you that we don't have to say all the right words and have all the right feelings. uh, But what we do have which is right is you. And so we can operate from that, we know. And so, Lord, if someone's dealing with feeling offended, uh, I pray that you would give them um, the wisdom to handle that situation. It might be we need to talk. It might be I need to let this go. Lord, if there's someone here that is the offender this morning um, and they're wrestling in their mind, someone's looked at them and said, Yes, I forgive you, but still they just won't let it go. The accuser just continues to tell them, You're the offender. Uh, I pray that you release them from that. It's a satanic attack in their mind, Lord, is what it is. This is exactly what it is. Maybe there's someone here and they have offended someone and that hasn't been rectified yet. Lord, it's scary, uh, the sense of rejection. Uh, the the humility that we have to exert to take care of those things, Lord, it's not easy. I don't like doing it. Um, I've had to do it many times, and I'll have to do it many more, Lord. But I pray that you give that person special grace. And I pray that the gospel would go before them and prepare these re- relationships for reconciliation. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.